Hey, what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to another episode of the show. My guest today is going to open your eyes, your ears, your heart, and your brain. Her name, Arlen Hamilton. And you're probably familiar with her. Maybe you saw her face on the cover of Fast Company magazine. Uh, she founded Backstage Capital. She has been on this show before, but this is an incredibly different conversation than the one we had last time. She invests in underestimated founders. She means by that is people who are typically not in the world that venture capital, I think it's something like 90% of venture capital goes to white men. She defines under rep, underestimated founders rather as women, people of color, and members of the LGBTQ community. Prior to her role here uh, at uh, Backstage Capital, she founded and published in any magazine called Interlude, and before that was a tour manager for bands on under the Atlantic Records label. Um, this conversation is so timely and so inclusive that you absolutely must listen to it. If you are not interested in raising venture capital, I don't blame you, but there's so many ways this conversation's relevant, specifically finding your why. And Arlen, for example, she went from being on food stamps to having a multi-million dollar fund and investing in a hundred companies in under three years. Talk about a transition. So this truly is for everyone. If finding your why, if pursuing that through any means possible and creating success for yourself, if any of those things are on your list, this conversation is for you. We also talk about her new book called It's About Damn Time, which I loved all kinds of uh, dog-eared corners, underlined, highlighted stuff. I just, I love the book and I know you will too. And what I love is the incredible detail we talk about, specifically how she's done some of these things. So I'm going to get out of the way. And uh, for the second time now in two years, we're excited to have Arlen Hamilton on the show. So take it away. But before we do, just a super quick word from our sponsor. Hey, y'all. Hey, uh, new sponsor alert. So this episode of Chase Jarvis Live is brought to you by Creative Live. And you all know, yeah, of course, I am the founder of that company, but I got to just be straight up. This is unequivocally, no questions asked, the best place in the world for creator and entrepreneurial education. I mean, frankly, nothing even comes close, and it's the only one that's focused specifically on photography, design, video, art, music, craft, and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all those disciplines. It's where the best teachers in the world, where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best go to teach. So of course I'm biased, but I, I just encourage you to check it out because nothing else comes close. Okay, that's it. That's my soapbox. That is the commercial and we'll hope to see you have a creative life. Now let's get back to the show. Arlen, thank you so much for being on the show and I want to hand the mic to you. I know you've got a little bit to say and then we're going to jump into a conversation. So please take it away. Hey, thank you so much, Chase. That's uh, really sweet of you. Um, hi, everybody. Uh, as Chase said, I'm Arlen Hamilton. I am the managing partner and uh, founder of Backstage Capital Boutique Investment Fund. I'm also the host of Your First Million, which is a podcast that um, in, uh, that interviews successful people from all walks of life. 
and finds out how they made the first million, the first million dollars, the first uh, million fans, the first million downloads, et cetera, and have been having a lot of fun doing that. And now I'm the author, the published author of It's About Damn Time, How to Turn Being Underestimated into Your Greatest Advantage. And uh, I'm thrilled about all, all three of those things. Um, so if you don't know me, I'll just kind of catch you up. So after raising uh, several million dollars from investors, after generating several million dollars in revenue, investing in 130 plus companies led by underrepresented founders, and doing all of this in the last four and a half years after having no college education, having no financial background uh, to speak of, no um, connections at the time in Silicon Valley, and experiencing housing insecurity for the greater part of my life, um, people wonder how I did that. (laughs) Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about how I, the things that I've learned along the way, some of the things and, and what's in this book and uh, what I think is very relatable and apl- applicable to others. Um, I was laughed out of rooms, uh, literally laughed out of rooms at times when I was discussing and describing what this fund could could one day be. I, I used to say, I want to invest in 100 companies that are led by underrepresented founders by 2020. And I would say that six years, eight years ago. And people would would actually either pat me on the head figuratively uh, or walk me out of the room while laughing, giggling. Um, others would be more bold and say it's never going to happen. But I, I knew that it needed to happen. And so my story is I'm 39 now uh, as we tape this. Uh, starting at around 30 is when I discovered, I guess you could call it, Silicon Valley after seeing people like Ashton Kutcher and Ellen DeGeneres and Troy Carter and Justin Bieber, uh, who were investing in these in these small amounts in these smaller companies with two or three people. And they were called startups in a place called Silicon Valley. And I started doing all this research. And I realized after doing that research that I felt a kinship to them. I felt like I had found my people. Because they were building things, they were building audacious, with audacious goals in mind, and they were um, experimenting and, and, and faltering and standing back up and all the things that I had felt I had been doing my whole life, but it felt like an outsider doing those things. At the same time, I was also reading books like Outliers uh, by Malcolm Gladwell, so I, I had that in my mind. I had been reading books by Richard Branson for most of my life at that point. And had found great inspiration from him and from Oprah and from others who had built uh, from seemingly nothing. So uh, Silicon Valley to me was presented itself <clears throat> presented itself as a, as, a, as a golden opportunity and as the promised land. What happened, though, as I dug deeper is that I realized and learned through statistics, through reports, through talking to other founders from all backgrounds – that 90% plus of all venture capital, which is the innovative capital that goes into goes into these companies, 90% plus was going to straight white men in a country where they make up 30% or so of the population. So as a gay black woman who is also very curious 
and 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 doesn't just stand by and watch things happen. That was very alarming to me. It was intriguing. It was fascinating, uh, disappointing. And all those things wrapped up to, into one. I said, you know what, instead of me going out to raise money to start a company, which is what I had set out to do, if if I don't if I don't help fix or change or bring attention to one of the one of those to the bigger uh, systematic problem, it won't matter if I raise a round of funding for myself. Uh, there are too many people being overlooked. I a don't feel that that's right, and so we need to make that right. But b what happens the next round? Am I still going to be overlooked? Are the people around me still going to be overlooked? And then most importantly, I think. Once I get there, even if I can hack my way in, will there be enough competition that I find to be c- true competition? So I want to look across the room and see another black woman. I want to see another gay woman. I want to see another person of color looking back at me. And we're, we're going at it, going toe to toe. I don't want to be the only in the room. And so I set out to raise a fund, to put, put funds together to invest in other, in, uh, to invest in other entrepreneurs who were underrepresented at the time. Now, the term underestimated came into play uh, a little bit into that into that journey after I raised. And it was coined at a meeting, a backstage capital meeting. And I talk about this in the in the book more more explicitly. And it's yes, we are underrepresented. But the truth of the matter is we're we're mostly underestimated. And I know a lot of people can relate to, to that. So in our case, and in my case, I invest in women, people of color, and LGBTQ founders, but there are many other ways you can be underestimated. And I and I think that most people in this world have been underestimated at least once. And so we all know what that feels like. I want to set a foundational uh, understanding here before I start talking about the book itself and the, the things I want to pull from it is that um, there's a difference between privilege and entitlement. So I know that when I go and speak in, in, in person, a lot of times when they announce me or they describe what I do, um, half the room will get up if they don't know me. They'll walk out <laughs> because they're like, oh, it's a diversity girl. And this is the HR section of the, of the, of the uh, programming. I, I'll go get lunch. I'll go get a snack. You know, I'll use the restroom. Um, I want to make sure everybody knows that this is like – I'm a capitalist. I'm, I'm not here – uh, this is not uh, give give a black person a check day, <laughs> because believe me, my mother would be in line first, and I would have to answer to her first. Uh, this is a this is a thesis, and this is a strategy, and it is also it comes with a wonderful byproduct of having impact and being the right thing. But really stretch the imagination and, and think about it in, in those terms if you are if you don't consider yourself someone who is underrepresented uh, here. If you do consider yourself someone who's underrepresented, I have an underestimated. There are five things I want to just briefly talk about from the book. The book is full of uh, there's more than 20 chapters and each of the chapters talks about something that where I set it up where I was underrepresented and underestimated mostly and how I flip that. Um, but five that I think that are great takeaways, we'll start with one. One of them is get information. So I talk, you know, the song, uh, by Beyonce, if you're, if you have a pulse, you probably know the song where she says, ladies, let's get information to me. She's what I heard when she said, get information." I heard her say, get information. I heard her giving us a call to get in line and get 
uh, online <laughs> and get that information. So what that means is Google or any other search engine is your friend. Um, people ask me often, how do you have so much confidence? I didn't always have a lot of confidence. Uh, I really didn't. But the more you know about your lane, the more confident you become because you know you can walk into any room figuratively or literally and you can be the, the, the you can have so much information you can get information and you can know what you're talking about so that gives you confidence and i dig really deep into this into the book in the book and, and explain you might have seen recently the netflix documentary with michelle obama which is amazing where she talks about talks about being in these rooms with the most powerful men in the world and realizing that half of them don't know how they got there and half of them shouldn't be there. So that leaves her standing there saying, I should be in this room and so should all of us. It's okay that we're all allowed in this room. And I think it starts with the information that is mostly free to most of us. Not it's not free to everyone because not everyone has Wi-Fi and access and laptops and things like that. But the majority of us, especially if you're watching this, you have access to all sorts of information. So even Creative Live, this online uh, platform that is just ed tech, you know, education at your fingertips. I, I was watching these videos. This is a part of it. This is part of it. The second thing is that I say is write your own headlines. So you might think of things like uh, the secret or um, um, vision boarding, things like that. I, what, what I do is I write my own headlines. So I go into my draft in my email and I will years ahead of time or months ahead of time type out what I want the headline to be about what I'm about to do. And I started this years ago before I had a dime. And one of those headlines was Arlen Hamilton's fund invests in 100 companies led by underrepresented founders by 20. And I put the date at, at, at 2020. And I had that open all the time and I looked at it and I came back to it and I looked at it and I believed in it and I and I applied it and we reached 100 companies in May of 2018 so we were the people who laughed me out of the room were were partially right because it wasn't 2020 it was 2018 the next thing I say is be insatiably curious um, be insatiably curious about people first and foremost about products about your product or service about your competition. Some people skip over that because they either say or think I don't have competition or they're not anyone I need to pay attention to. You don't need to stalk, but you do need to understand and know. It all comes back to the information. If you can keep yourself curious, think about when you read those articles where people like they interview billionaires and millionaires and they say the top three things they do. Usually one of those things is I read every day, read every day. I know Oprah does. I know Warren Buffett does. That's because they're insatiably curious. And I can say that from the people that I've met that have impressed me the most, who are the celebrities, who are the very powerful or rich, whatever, they all had in common, if they impressed me, that they they read every day. They It may not be a book, but maybe it's a trade paper. Maybe it's a blog that you like. Maybe you don't enjoy reading as much as you like listening to podcasts. The point of it is, is to be insatiably curious, looking, all, never be complacent in your understanding of something. Every single day of my life, I research so that I can at least know a little bit more than I knew the day before. The fourth thing on the list is don't deny the world your voice. 
Uh, there is an entire section of eight sections. There's an entire section that goes really in on how I had stage fright, debilitating stage fright, until I was about 36. Um, and I'm 39, so it wasn't that far back. And I am not here to tell you to get over your stage fright, but 50% of the population is supposed is supposedly has stage fright so, or some form of it. So I'm not here to tell you to get over it, but the book does tell you how I did it, how I part of it was it couldn't be anybody else telling me. So I know that if I tell you to get over your stage fright, you're just going to go further and further away from it because there's something that is holding you back. But I'll I walk you through how I got over it step by step. And not only that, it's followed by a chapter that tells you how I went from having debilitating stage fright. So I would not be on stage. I would not have done this even to my uh, speaking fees being my second largest income stream of seven. So there, the, I think it's worth the price of admission alone for the book to, to get it just to learn how to, to negotiate that. And it's not just literally your voice. It's your, it's what you have to say. I think another attribute of something, someone who is very successful is someone who is willing to have a strong stance and a strong opinion about several things. Not for the sake of it, not for the sake of standing out or making noise, but for the sake of listening to your inner dialogue list, or monologue, listening to your, uh, your inner voice and saying, I am willing to have um, accountability and to stand in, in what I believe here, and I'm willing to say it out loud. I've done that over time. I didn't know what I was, I didn't know that I was doing that. But by speaking my mind and wavering when, yes, I get new information that helps me waver, but not because anyone has intimidated me or I feel like I'll be embarrassed if I'm wrong, et cetera, that has led to people being attracted to me, money being attracted to me, powerful people being attracted to me to come and see what else I had to say, and people being attracted to the message. And I could be wrong, I could be right, I could you could agree with me or you may not. But I what I do believe it does is it it instills a certain level of respect in a person when you understand they're they don't waffle at the sign of disagreement from someone else. And it is actually to me a strong strategy and success is to have opinion, to have stance, to speak for something and to live for something. So all of that is in the don't deny the world your voice. You may think, well, I'm just a person. Why would anybody want to listen to me? Why should I start a podcast? Why should I start a blog? Why should I tweet? Why should I have Instagram? All of that. Why should I write a book? Any of that. Listen, there are billions of people in the world. There's only one you. And I don't mean to sound like I, I'm wanting to write it a, a pillow that you're going to get embroidered. But it's the truth. Think about that. Really think about that. Billions of people in the world, only one you. When you leave, that's it. You were the prototype for that, that one person. So you have whatever years you have left, which is hopefully decades. Now you can start thinking that way. And people, there are people who want to hear from you. And that leads me into my final thing from the book, uh, that I wanted to pull is to be yourself. I talk about talk about authenticity very often in the book, and it's probably the most important part of this, because I 
I mentioned that I've raised millions of dollars. I've generated millions of dollars in revenue, which I think is very important to remember. I don't think it's talked about enough. I've generated millions of dollars in revenue. I have invested in more than 100 companies all in the last four and a half years. And I have done so by the five things that I've, the four things I've mentioned, and also by being myself and while being myself. And I have to tell you, there's a there's a sweet uh, satisfaction to that, to waking up every day and knowing that I don't have to put on any airs. I don't have to pretend with anybody. What you see is what you get. And um, it, it, it's, it, I wouldn't have it any other way. And it also proves that if someone with no college education, no financial background, no connections in Silicon Valley, but all the authenticity in the world and all the sincerity in the world and the, the, con- the execution in the world can make this happen in less than five years, then you certainly can make something happen in what you want to do. And so that is being yourself. And so I'll leave you with this. What I say is, and I hope you hear this if you take nothing else away, is be yourself so that the people looking for you can find you. Be yourself so that the people looking for you can find you. There's someone right now who's looking for you. They won't be able to see you if you hide behind a costume. And that's where I'll leave it. I hope you check out It's About Damn Time, How to Turn Being Underestimated into Your Greatest Advantage. Arlen, (laughs) thank you so much. Um, again, if you're just joining us, I'm Chase Jarvis, uh, and I'm um, honored to be with you today. Arlen, thanks so much for being on the show here at Creative Life TV. Um, and I really, really appreciate your walking through five of the principles. I'm standing here with your, or sitting here rather with your book, and it's, you can see <laughs> I've, I've got like, you know, 40 pages dog-eared. That's so cool. And, and um, I wanted to jump right in on the back of this um this authenticity piece that you talked about. And in a sense, it's believing in yourself. You mentioned words like intuition and self-belief. And I want to jump in there on really upfront in the book on page 17. Um, there's a poll quote that I flagged, you know, right away on my first pass through the book. And that is self-belief alone will not achieve your goals, but achieving your goals without self-belief will be almost impossible. So, one of the things right now for people, and I'm just going to you know, mention a few of the people who are out there in the world. There's Ronnie and Debbie and Grady, uh, Haroon, um, Elsie, uh, Jennifer from Phoenix, Arizona. We've got people coming in from all over the world. And what I'm guessing they want to know, um, if they're anything like me and a lot of people who pay attention to Creative Live, is how did you begin to believe in yourself? Because that is a, you know, that's a, a tough shake for some folks, uh, either through their childhood experiences, mm-hmm. through some trauma, or there's an I- infinite number of, you know, of, of reasons why. But at some point in all of our lives or the lives, as you say, as successful, fulfilled people, there's a, a bit that flips and yeah. you start believing in yourself. So can you give us any sort of antidotes of anecdotes of what it was like for you when you sort of took that charge or if someone's struggling what they might do to take control of their own self-belief yeah i so i think it comes down to three things that come to mind one is um the information that i talked about information building builds confidence and i wasn't all like i said i wasn't always very confident um some in some ways i was since i was a child uh 
very confident in certain rooms. But when it came to how people treat, how I let people treat me, how what I and I should say maybe more specific and accurate way of saying it is what I tolerated um, and and what I stayed with. Right. I don't know if someone treating you poorly is you letting them because there is there is a difference. But I don't I I didn't always have that. Well, you know, I own the room and everywhere I go. But after just years, I started thinking about this fund when I was 30. I will be 40 this year. And every day since I started thinking about it, I've been gaining information. I've been talking to people. I've been researching. I've been reading, been listening. I've been observing all of that. And when you have that much information in your head and, and you've been around that many people um, in a space that that's where a lot of the confidence comes from. Um, and so I, I just recommend if someone feels like really like they don't know if they, they just feel really shaky, start with learning about what you want to be an expert on. And I promise you, like the first day of it, you'll feel, you'll feel a little bit, a little bit more confident and then a little bit more and just start stacking on it. The second part of it is, the imposter syndrome myth that I kind of bust, try to bust in the book, which is a lot of underestimated people, especially that, that I've seen, um, feel like they, they, they think they have imposter syndrome because that's the phrase that has been used by others. But I believe a lot of imposter syndrome is, is sort of uh, kind of a gaslighting of us because like Michelle, like I mentioned in the in the conversation, like Michelle Obama, who we all look up to and though as a confident woman, as a bold woman, as an intelligent woman, uh, caring person, she would go into these rooms and maybe at the beginning, she talks a lot about it, at the beginning, she was she was a little bit intimidated, but she spent some time with the people in the rooms who had gotten into the rooms and she's like, wait a minute, a lot of this, I outdo them. I am smarter than them in this. I know I have more expert in this, we'll say, rather than smarter. I am more expert in this. I am willing to do more. Uh, I have a better work ethic. I am this, this, and that. So there's, there are ways we can start listing things off that you already have that because you may not have been around others in your space or too many others, or because they may have been really good at gaslighting you and telling, making you believe that you aren't as good, you start to feel that, but let's get into reality. You know, um, what I'll say this, I've never met one man who is smarter than the smartest woman I know. We'll start there, right? I've never met one, one uh, white man from Oregon who's smarter than the smartest white man from New York. You know, anybody can take that and think about, well, how, who, when do I feel intimidated? You, we're really all working with pretty much the same, the same on the same playing field with the same toys. <laughs> like we pretty much have the same gear, and it's a matter of do you shrink or do you not. And the third thing I think is what helped me really just go over. Like I can say all that, and I, you know, still still cry sometimes, still feel intimidated sometimes. But what always gets me back up is when I remember that other people will benefit from me succeeding. It's okay if I don't succeed, but other people will benefit if I do. So let me try. Let me at least go for it. 
And that kind of takes away a little bit of the, the noise that kind of gets in your way when you're when you're really going after something important. Amazing. Amazing. And uh, we just had a comment come in. Again, we're live here at creativelive.com slash TV and a couple of different platforms. If you want to uh, participate in the chat, go to creativelive.com slash TV and, and click on chat in the upper right hand corner. And I'm seeing the feed in real time. And Arlen, I want to share with you that Chris J. Photo says, Oh my God, I asked for help today on my Facebook live show and here you are. This is, <laughs> this is a life-changing moment for me. I will definitely read your book. Wow. Never have I seen someone who looks like me at my age doing what I'm inspired to do. I now know it's possible. So thank you. Okay, that's um, amazing. <laughs> here we are changing lives and it's only uh, 10 a.m. here on Pacific Time. It sure is. Thank you <laughs> um, so much for saying that. Well, um, thank you so much for showing up for so many people. And um, speaking of so many people, one of the other things that I was inspired by in the book and something I've written a lot about, it's one of the foundational, uh, the core values of Creative Live is community. And um, chapter four is titled, There is no such thing as self-made. So I'm wondering, there's so many people sitting alone right now, and especially in this time of quarantine where we're spending more time, you know, with this around a smaller group of people and many of us isolated. Um, and, you know, we start to think or feel or, or believe that, you know, we and we alone have to do it or can do it. Um, and, you know, you debunk that in chapter four. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about this idea of being self-made and how you flip the script on that concept. Yeah, Um and that's not to say there's even a, a gal throw to Netflix again. There's even a video, a, a movie that's about a black woman it's called self-made. So there's no shade to that. I wrote this before that, but I, 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 I'm the first person to say that it took a great deal of grit, tenacity, hustle, hard work, smart work, um, willpower, all of that for me to get where I am and to, to continue doing what I'm doing every single day. But I'm also going to have to tell you, I'm the first person to tell you that how many people I, I didn't, you know, I'll tell you this. I didn't do a thank you section in the book that I was asked to do because I was so afraid of missing the people like really key people because there's so many. So instead of that, I said, I'm not going to do it at all. <laughs> the whole book is a thank you because there's so many people. And when you're in it, you don't necessarily recognize what that help is. I, I equate it to being in a marathon and you're you're going, you're going, you're going. And you it, after that first couple of miles, you're, you're no longer in the pack. You're kind of by yourself and you have to just, it was willpower. And then someone puts their hand out with a little cup of water. And that's just that little bit more that you need to keep going. So you see the person, you see the water, the, the, the nourishment. That's what I think has happened here because Yes, a lot of it has been alone. A lot of it has been lonely. But every few mile markers, there's someone who lends a helping hand. And you can't deny that. So in, the, in this day of, of COVID-19, of us being isolated, of us having this unforeseen thing happen to us altogether, and we don't know how long it'll last or what the impact will be, to me, this is where collaboration is the most important. Like, this is where... As I said before, we are all dealing now with the same tools. It's kind of, I don't want to call it a level playing field because I, I wouldn't wish any of this on any of us. But you, it is like unplugged now, right? So you, you kind of see what you're made of. 
And you can look over and say, I think I really want to work with that person because I like the way that they're reacting to this. I like the way that they're showing up or I like the way that they're being low key and I'm low key and I don't necessarily want to be up in the front. And and, and maybe we can together, we can, one of us will be the person who um, explains what we're doing. One of us will be the person who has more ideas about the, the vision of what we're doing. You know, I think that collaboration right now is a huge strategy huge strategy. And I, I really believe we're going to come out of this with so many people having met each other in these rooms like this. And there'll, there'll be for decades stories of, yeah, during that 18 month, two year period, I met so-and-so and that's why we have this company or that's why we have uh, this life together, or this is why we, um, we started this organization, et cetera, et cetera. We, we painted this mural when we got out of it. Um, and, uh, and so I think everything can be repurposed. Everything can be repurposed. Well, speaking of um, the people who are meeting, uh, again, I'm, I have the good fortune of both listening to you and watching the chat come in from all over the world. And Julie and Kathleen and Debbie and Pamela and Neil and uh, now they're moving so fast I can't, uh, I can't read them. But um, there's a community that has um, formed – not just here at Creative Live TV, but in in your world of backstage capital, um, in the world of people who are aspiring to take their first step, start a company, uh, and there's a lot of talk about the economy being, you know, the worst since the Great Depression, and the list of headlines is virtually infinite. Mm. Um, but for those folks who are curious right now and wondering. Well, gosh, I wouldn't want to start a company in I wouldn't want to, you know, start writing my book. I wouldn't want to, you know, go from zero to one in any endeavor because the sky is falling. I'm wondering what message you would have for for those folks, given you, you get to spend so much time around, you know, first time founders and people who are starting their creative or entrepreneurial endeavors. So I'm wondering if you have any advice. Again, here we are besides collaborate, which I think is brilliant and insightful. But, mm -hmm. you know, there's people who are terrified to to try and go from zero to one in a time when the economy is, you know, struggling. So any advice for those folks? Yes. <clears throat> First of all, I would say to those people who, who, who tr genuinely feel that way, I would say, if not you, who? You know, I didn't come up with that. But if not you, then who? And if not now, then when? Okay, we're in it. We're in this situation. Whatever, um, we, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know that two years from now. We know that it'll be different, but we don't know how. So, you would you rather waste that two years or that one year or those several months waiting for something to be easier, quote unquote, when maybe it won't. It'll be easier, but in a different way than you were expecting. Would you rather wake up in two years or five years and say and, and wake up to the news that someone else came up with your idea the same time you did and acted on it and you didn't? Um, to me, that's worth it enough. It's, it's, an, it's en enough to say, let me try. The other part of it, especially when it comes to like creative stuff, I don't think that I don't think there's any time to be wasted when it comes to creativity. You talk about not writing a book right now well I wrote this book a year started writing this book a year and a half ago ended about six months ago could never have imagined that it would be released during this time could never have imagined um but you know what it's right on time 
It's about damn time. And it's right on time. The messaging in this book is hitting a certain way because of what we're going through right now. So if I had waited and said, oh, I don't know if I should write a book now. I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if it's 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 conceited of me to write a book. What should I do? It's not my space to. Then I would be sitting here with no publisher really looking for me because they'd be really inundated with other stuff and worried about the people they've already published. And I'd have to wait another however many years for it to have some sort of impact. And the people who needed the message wouldn't have received it in this time. So there's never a perfect time for anything. And there's never a terrible time for anything. Well, there's sometimes a terrible time for anything. Sometimes <laughs> read the room, you know, <laughs> read the room. But there's never a perfect time for anything, for everything. There's just there's just never a perfect time. And on the on the positive side of it, I believe like there there are a lot of people who are saying, including Mark Cuban, I just had this conversation with um, live. And he said, you know, that was the perfect time to start a company. And I agree with that, but maybe for a slightly different reason. Um, I think that you don't necessarily need to go and look up, okay, top 10 companies that are going to do well after coronavirus and then say, I want to choose number four because that's the closest to what I think I can make happen. To me, that is not exciting. What would be exciting though, is if you observed your surroundings, you um, interviewed people that were close to you and people that you didn't know. You thought about, you did a brainstorming session on what you really enjoy and what really drives you, motivates you, and uh, you know, gives you hope and all sorts of things, motivation. And you, you start to kind of find your way towards something and then interview people and ask them along those lines, today, what do you need? And then what do you think you may need in three months or a year? And it, yes, it'll take, it won't take a day, but it'll take a while because I just told you I took a decade to get here and I took 40 years almost to get here, if we're being honest. Um, but you can start that process now and you will have your finger on the pulse of something uh, uh, that I think a lot of people who are scrambling to do the thing that is, that they see on the list. Like if, if you, if you've seen it on a list, it's probably too late for it, in my opinion. So you want to be a little bit outside. It goes back to having that stance and to having that opinion that maybe others don't have, but you take it, you take it early and you take it as an outlier and it just might pay off for you. And then finally, I think you're in, a, in an interesting place because y yes, it will be probably more difficult. I, I almost guarantee you it'll be more difficult to raise capital right now, but use it as an opportunity to bootstrap. Use it as an opportunity to experiment and to hold on to as much equity as you can and to do this in a different way. Every story we hear about successful people was a story of the time. We, we hear like Airbnb started because they, they did this and then they did the, uh, the cereal boxes and it was the 2008 uh, this and that, 2007, 2004, whatever it was. <laughs> they did all that, um, but it was because that happened in the time. You're in the time right now. This is the time. So you can't compare it to the, you can't compare. I say you can't compare your chapter two to chapter, anybody else's chapter 10. I, I took that from someone else. So don't compare yourself to what happened in the past and don't compare yourself to what other people are doing because you have to create your own narrative. And right now we have a really unique opportunity 
to take all of this tragedy and all of this surrealness and just claim our spot here on this spinning globe. Mm -hmm. We have this spot that we can claim. And that's what I hope people take from the book the most is that it's equally yours as it's anyone else's. Amazing. Well, I think this, the timing right now is so interesting because there's, uh, I'm going to share my own uh, little experience here for a second, which is the biggest boldest moves in my career have always required some time and that is forethought and planning. And the reality is when you're stacked in back-to-back meetings or working on the thing that you're working on, your head down, it's very hard to carve out time and a little more space than usual to think. And so for the, you know, the hundreds of comments that we're getting now from all over the world, there's a lot of people asking about like, this time. And I think you did such a nice job of galvanizing that this is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to claim your spot. It's an opportunity to experiment. And if not now, or if not you, who, and if not now, when, I think that's beautiful advice. Part of, uh, the equation for every entrepreneur, I know this from personal experience, but also from our previous conversations on the podcast, um, you, you talk a lot about hearing no. And, uh, I think now there's a lot of time or there's a lot of uh, reason for people to hear no. Um, there's always, you know, in a perfect economy, you're going to hear a lot of no's. Um, but as you've talked about, no is just ultimately a path to yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a great chapter in the book. Um, I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about the no's that you heard to inspire the people out there who are starting to hear no for the first time or maybe have been hearing it for a while. And um, what advice would you have uh, for them? Well, yes, I I have had so many more no's than anything because that's just the math of it all. And very clearly, I want to state that um, no, no one ever mistake me saying that no doesn't mean no. <laughs> uh, no to me is a numbers game to yes when you ask the next person, not when you ask the same person over and over again. Okay. The, so when we're doing the math on that, be very clear that don't translate that to, Oh, I better just ask the same person a hundred times to get my yes. No, no, no. I'm saying ask a hundred people. You're going to get 99 no's and one yes. Okay. And that, that has really followed me. Um, rejection doesn't feel good ever. There's never a time where rejection feels good unless you're like pretending you want something and then they say no and you're like, oh, great, I didn't get that. But anything that you care about that you want doesn't feel good to be rejected because you we're human. We take it personally in some way. That's what it lands on. You can call it anything, but it lands on I'm taking it personally for some reason. What I had to do was after the first couple dozen no's to, from investors – 2012, 2013, I'm, I'm over here asking investors to invest in a fund that doesn't exist on a thesis that is very foreign to them, a person they've never met, and in a world where they don't talk about diversity at all, because it was not spoken about back then as much as it is today, I'm going to get no's over and over and over again. So I was getting them, and when they were saying no to my fund, what they were really saying no to was to black people, to brown people, to people of color across the board, to LGBTQ people, to women across the board. Since I identify as 
three of those, four of those, of the five. Um, I, I took it personally because I'm human and you will be taking it personally too. So I had to have this talk with myself and say, wait a second, this is a numbers game. This is a numbers game. Go back. I had to go back to a few years prior to that, which I talk about in the book, when I wanted to go from working on indie tours with musicians, which I had been working on, to arena level tours. And what I did then was I set out and I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to write to a hundred tour managers and production managers, because I know a hundred are not going to say yes. I know a hundred are not going to read it. So I did the math one night and I said, okay, if I, if I reach out to a hundred, I can get some statistics. I can get some uh, percentages and all I need is one to, to work. So the, how it worked out was 20 of those 100 after I spent a long time reaching out to them one by one, which I go into in the book of how to do that, 20%, so 20 of them responded in some way. Three of them agreed to or asked for a meeting. And one of them turned into my first major gig that kicked off um, uh, several gigs where I ended up working with people like Jason Derulo and Tony Braxton and Will I Am and Amanda Palmer and et cetera, et cetera, because I did the math. And if I had, and so I had to remember that because I was like, wait a minute, this was numbers. If I had been, if I hadn't gone into that process, knowing that the majority of those people were never going to respond to me, I would have been a mess. And I was also hungry at the time and looking for rent money and all sorts of things both times. So there was that added pressure of like, it has to work. Well, it can work if you're steady, if you're strategic, if you think this through, if you're logical. It's not always easy to be logical and steady and strategic when you're hungry. I get that. But it's the only way that has worked for me. When I'm, when I'm chaotic and when I'm desperate and when I'm this, it doesn't work. I say be hungry, not thirsty. So I was certainly hungry. <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't thirsty. I wasn't out there begging people. And that's when it became strategy. And that's when I had the upper hand. And that's when rejection became, it was almost like music. You know, it was almost like the drum beat. It was like, okay, that person needed to reject me for the numbers to work. So that means, okay, I'm closer to a yes. Let's go. I love it. And I, I do as a music lover myself, I love a lot of the um, references in the book, the songs that uh, motivate and inspire you. That was a good list. Uh, cool. we, got some, we got some good crossover. Um, again, if you're just now joining us, I'm Chase sitting here with Arlen Hamilton, uh, founder of Backstage Capital, first black woman non-celebrity on the cover of Fast Company magazine, uh, business insiders, you know, top women and uh, women in business, LGB, LGD, LGBTQ. It's hard. In business. It's not that always. Is, that's a mouthful. Especially I always when you're doing have to it think about it. it. <laughs> I like that it's L first. <laughs> yeah. That's how that helps me. Say so lesbian, gay, <laughs> bi, trans. This is the that's new the book. book. You can see I've been uh, devouring it. Thank you for getting me an advanced copy, and I appreciated the personalization uh, little yes. note in there. Thank you so much. Um, just as a reminder, uh, we're 
you know, getting comments from all over the world. And uh, I want to go back to something you said earlier, which I felt was very powerful, often overlooked, um, and yet very, very common amongst the top performers that I've had on the show. We've had here on Creative Live, mm-hmm. and that is <clears throat> the positivity and the visualization of the events that you want to happen in the future. Yeah, you talked earlier about writing your own headlines. Um, so I want to uncover a little bit more about your actual process for that. Mm-hmm. And then Grady Lawler has a question. Um, and it's a cool name. Yeah, Grady it is, Lawler. Right? I like that. How about, it's like a, I don't know, it's like a sheriff in a yeah. in, in a, in a movie somewhere <laughs> or something. Oh, oh Sheriff yeah. Grady Lawler. Um, he asks, what is one of the draft headlines you have right now mm-hmm. that's due in the future? Mm-hmm. So if you could use that as an example and then tell us a little bit about how you do it. I think that might help bring this positive mindset and visualization of what we want for ourselves more into view for everyone who's watching and listening. Sure. Thanks for asking that. Um, So one of the things, one of the kind of internal rules of this is that I don't necessarily share it and I don't suggest everyone else shares it. I will share one of them, though. Um, But I will say, again, part of it is that I don't necessarily share it with others because it is a it is an internal North Star for me. And you can choose to, ch- to share your headlines or not, um, but not sharing has been the helpful thing to me because it just keeps me accountable and doesn't have everyone else's opinion coming at me. But one of them I will share with you, and it is, I've had it for about a year, and it is, uh, it's about damn time becomes bestseller. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it has a couple, a couple little details in there, uh, but it really is. I, I, I wanted, I wanted as many people as possible to get this book, and I don't necessarily think it'll happen immediately. Um, I'm very much long. Like I, my publisher will tell you. Like I was like, I want to learn everything there is about publishing. Like tell me everything there is to know. And they're like, no author asks this many questions. I'm like I just want to know. That's I'm insatiably curious. Did you read the book? <laughs> So I I don't necessarily need it to 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 you know go crazy out the gate, but I want it to be the sustainable book that that sells and that reaches people for months and years to come. And I'm just so excited about that because the immediate reaction has been just overwhelmingly positive and amazing and helpful to people. Let me just say this real quickly: um, a lot of people think that they're buying a book about me. And I want you to know that you're buying a book about you. That's what this book is. And you'll you'll read it. You'll know what I'm talking about. Or you'll listen to the audio. You'll know what I'm talking about. Um, a headline, like just the way that I do the headline. So I personally, like, I know people, uh, my wife uses a bullet journal. Bullet journaling is probably, a lot of people use that. It works really well for her. For me, um, I do love handwrite, handwritten stuff, but I'll probably lose it. So I just leave it in a draft. I have a draft in my uh, email couple because I have like three or four emails that I go through. Um, email different ones that I have, depending on who's writing to me, and I have a draft in in one of them, and it just it ebbs and flows. It's it's what I need it to be. It's like my it's it's the vision that I have for myself. Um, it's so I'll I'll write it. I'll I'll I've what I'll what I did early on is like kind of count how many words can be in a headline. So I I noticed that you never see more than 14 words in a headline. So I never let the headline get over 14 words. Just sort of like really make it. This is going to be a headline one day. 
And yes, some of them haven't happened, but I, it's it's kind of led me to something even better happening because I'm leading myself that way. But a lot of it has, you know, the hundred companies and and the um, the stuff we've done with our accelerator and things that I've done with um, just just being able to get past the stage fright and all sorts of things. You know, I've, I talked about stage fright earlier. And I said that it it was just three or so years ago that I started really conquering it. I've spoken at at least 150 keynotes since then. I mean, it's been ridiculous. <laughs> it's wow. been ridiculous how much I've spoken, but had to start somewhere. And part of it was that envisioning and, and execution. I, I, you'll never see me talk about vision, envisioning something without the execution part. And you'll never see me talk about the execution part without the vision. They just they just go hand in hand by themselves. They're just they're just hopes or they're just uh, work without cause, without purpose. You know, so that that writing your own headline piece is like just however that turns out to however that works best for you. It could be a bullet journal. It could be literally writing the headline in a in a, in a draft like I do. It could be I also used to have on my um, whiteboard when I had like this whiteboard at this other place I lived. I would write the word in permanent marker, the words keep going exclamation point and write everything else around it, all of those things. And people would come in and they'd see it. And it was like when you're on that part of the marathon where you are by yourself, you need yourself to coach yourself. <laughs> so I look up at it and it'll, and it'll say that. And then I, right now at my home office, I have the be yourself so that others can find you uh, written across a wall because there's never a time I don't think that you just kind of make it and you just you're there and you don't need more motivation. I still need motivation every day. And I have I have these conversations with myself every day and I get myself psyched and then I'll go watch someone else or go read someone else or go listen to someone else to hype me up. I still I still go back and, and pull from certain Oprah books and certain Richard Branson books and certain Brad Fell books and, and uh, the books that are on my shelf from, from women of color who, who the, they've come out in the last year. Or so like I still pull from those because you're never going to get in a place where you're like, yep, arms folded, it's done. But uh, you can motivate yourself every day for sure. And for free. Ooh, that's right. The free part. And mm -hmm. You know, it's my hope that those folks who are listening right now um, are inspired. I'm looking at the, you know, Edna um, just wants to say thank you for this amazing advice. She's also a Bujo bullet journal. I guess ah. that's the community, the Bujo. I didn't, oh. I, didn't, I didn't know that, so I'm learning something. Um, I Thank you so much for sharing these inspiring words. And, you know, again, for those who are tuning in, this you shared this idea that this book is a reflect. You know, it, it's not about you; it's a reflection of uh, the person who's reading it. And yes. I can I can attest to that. And as someone who um, has spent a bit of time uh, with you, and we had a previous conversation that I loved, um, I I can say that the the journey that you share, while I'm a white male and you're an LGBTQ woman of color, there's so many similarities at this Venn diagram. And I think that's this beautiful part about we're both all in this together and you have to be you, this individual, yeah. you know, the, there's this, um, I think a beautiful tension of knowing who you are and, and yet being willing to ask for the sale and to get a, a hundred no's for everyone. Yes. Just, um, the book is so relatable and it, 
like few in the entrepreneurial space. A lot of people talk about if you have the perfect venture capital partner and the perfect co-founder and you time everything perfect, this is what you can do. And yeah. I don't know anybody whose story looks or sounds like that. It's all, yeah. you know, it's, it's, so it's refreshingly honest. And I have to thank you for that. Um, thank you. The, yeah. The, we talked in our last conversation about something that has left an indelible mark on me and I was hoping that you can share it uh, sure. because the people who are tuning in, uh, from all over the world, they come from a, a variety of socioeconomic backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, um, just a variety of different um, upbringings, if you will. Mm -hmm. And you talk about um, letting someone who's shorter stand in front of you. And I know it came from music originally, and you shared it with, with uh, the audience in our last conversation. I'm wondering if we can revisit that. I think it's a very powerful concept. And for those who are are listening right now and may have come from more privilege. Um, can you tell that story and can you help us, uh, I don't know, educate us, if you will, yeah. on a way to be more inclusive? Sure. Uh, so the top of my conversation earlier, the talk earlier, I wanted to lay that foundation that privilege and, and entitlement are two different things. Privilege is not a bad word. We all have some sort of privilege. Some have more, some don't. I have a privilege in, for instance, the fact that I can talk to you right now uh, of sound mind, for, you know, for now, and uh, sound body. I can walk across a stage where others may not be able to, physically not able to, or have the uh, social standing, quote unquote, to be able to both ways. So I understand many of my privileges. Some of my privileges I am told because I don't see them. There are blind spots that we all have, and you have to be open to those, and I try to be. So I call privilege a hand-me-down heirloom because privilege often comes from how you, where you were born, who you were born to, what you were born as, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas entitlement is something that you procure and choose to wear. So that to me is where the bad, the, the bad part of it comes in because um, it takes a lot of effort to be entitled <laughs> it takes a lot of effort to be entitled. And if so to try and be a jerk. Right? To try, yes. <laughs> so let's be let's be very clear in that um, anyone who I think the people who stand up when I come at, come in and they they hear they get out out of their seats about the the diversity stuff, I think they do that because they think they're about to get yelled at or to get shamed or to be you versus me, me versus you. We're not saying that everybody has privilege. And recognizing your privilege is not saying you've done anything wrong. It's also not saying that the where, where, how you've gotten to where you are is necessarily um, had nothing to do with you. It's saying that maybe you had, and most likely you had, some help, some steps along the way. The same way, again, me walking onto an air, airplane is easier than someone in a wheelchair getting into their seat. Am I, am I a bad person because that's the truth? No, of course not. It's just the truth. So to not recognize that is an insult to the person in the wheelchair. So now that we have that established, the way that I say it, and I think that it has resonated with some people, is that when you go to a concert, think about a concert, and you know, we, and especially now we, we miss our concerts for sure. But think about a smaller venue. Maybe it's a venue that holds 1,000 or 200 or however many people, and it's standing room only. And there's a stage at the end of it. And you're excited to see your artist perform. And everybody in that room is excited to see the artist perform. No matter who you are right now, 
I guess suppose I suppose if you were a baby, this not would not work. But everybody else, what this would work for, no matter who you are right now, as an adult or as a teenager. If someone tapped you on the shoulder, and they said to you in a nice way, "Hey, I can't really see the stage because you're in front of me. Would you mind stepping to the side a little bit so I can see the stage?" The majority of us who are not entitled would say, "Absolutely, of course so." And you would step aside a little bit and that person would be able to see the stage now and to enjoy the event more than they would have before. And the best part of it is, guess what? You did not shrink. You did not lose your place. And if you lost anything, maybe, maybe you see a little less of the stage, but you're still able to enjoy and it still works out for you and you still had a great time. Now, if you're someone who is short, because people come at me and they're like, well, I'm really, I'm literally really short, so that would never happen. What if there's someone in a wheelchair behind you and they tapped on your shoulder? If you're in a wheelchair, what if there was someone else in a wheelchair behind that person? I mean, everybody can relate to this. You step to the side. So if you're someone with, with a lot of privilege, and that privilege comes from, for instance, being a, a white person, and I'm not going to say white man because a lot of white women have a ton of privilege, which is great, ladies. Let's get your privilege. Let's get it all together and let's use it. Let's all skip the line. Let's go. <laughs> you know, I have seen some white women skip a, a buffet line like it's their J-O-B. So let's use that same energy and get us all in front, <laughs> in the front. Um, so if you have that privilege, I know there's some people who might attack you for it, and I understand that that's uncomfortable, but you have to really understand that your discomfort for the moments or for the day or for the tweet has nothing, has, can't compare to their discomfort of where they're coming from. And I don't condone every method of getting this message across. I, I will call it like I see it. If, if I don't, for instance, I don't use racial slurs. I said this recently. I don't use racial slurs, including towards white people. So you're not going to catch me high-fiving someone because we, we both talked about that person. I don't do that. Um, but going back a step, <laughs> um, if you have some sort of privilege, if you can start to allow yourself to look at it less like you're being attacked, you did something wrong, you're being told that you getting your job was not th due to merit. Um, and more like what we're saying is most likely it was due to merit, but most likely logically it was also due to some privileges you have that others don't. And you can accept both of those and we can start to do something about it. And, and then if you, if you go even a step further and say that doing so is lucrative and doing so is to your benefit as the person who is overrepresented, then we're really talking. I think one last kind of analogy is that someone, a founder, told me once, and I love this. And they said, think about um, what, basket, what professional basketball was like before it's integrated. It, it wasn't as exciting as it is today. We can all agree on that, right? It wasn't as exciting. And it's exciting for everybody involved. So it's not like it's only we're, go, we're coming in to take over and, 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 and you have to protect something. It's we're coming in to be part of what is ours inherently and to make this a better quality for everyone. Pure and simple. If you don't like the idea of someone having as much right to something as you do, it means that you're insecure 
and it means that you do not like competition. And that is a red flag. And that is something that you should probably think about. I think about it all the time. Um, anything that I ever preach, I try to, I try to do myself. So that's, that's just some, a few things that I've observed over the past few years. Amazing. Amazing. Um, Roxy says, thank you. I'm a woman of color and your words are so wise. Ricky <laughs> says, thank you for being an inspiration. Katara says, loving this goddess. So grounded, impactful <laughs> inspiration for the heart centered emerging leaders of our time. I want to say thank you again for being on the show, but before I let you go, I've got one last question about cool. your new, your new book. It's about damn time. Um, and it's on page 173, uh, and it's the opening epigraph for the, uh, I came for the cake, not for the crumbs. And the pull quote is this, the absolute most important thing I've learned in the past three years is the value of my time. Mm. It's been by far the most impactful driver for me for raising investment money, for generating revenue and for earning income. So for those folks at home who are wondering how to best spend their time uh, and as someone who has gone on the record here very publicly about saying that it's the most important thing, um, what's some advice you'd give for how to spend that time? And if you want to refer back to your own experience or to, uh, you know, illustrate it for us, however you see fit, but talk to us about the value of time. Yeah. Time is everything. And again, I'm not the first to say a lot of this. I, 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 I heard this and, and it's, it's proven to be so, so true that time is, is like the, the biggest asset. That's why they, while, uh, Justin, uh, what's his name? Timberlake. He yeah. did a whole movie about time. Forgot what it was called, but it was about, it was so interesting. Like the premise of it was that instead of exchanging money, they would exchange time on their lives because that's how valuable it is. Um, when I talk about the the the, the speaking uh, stage fright and then changing that, turning that into my speaking fee being the second dri largest driver of gener of income to me personally, all within like three years, um, it's because I started to measure time my time correctly. I think with the time that we have right now, there's you know there's not enough time for a deep dive. But the first thing you can do is think of it less about where do I allocate my time and more about how do I edit my time? Like how do I pare down? So once one thing I just did myself, which let's recognize the privilege that I'm about to talk about. I work from home, so I didn't have a hard time um, going remote. My team is remote. I have two assistants now and I am not on the street and I don't have any children. Okay. <laughs> so there's a lot to unpack there. But what I just did recently was because I was like, I'm not practicing what I preach. I feel burnt out again. I feel burnt out again. I can't do this. I went back and I said, I want only two, and starting in June, I want only two to three days per week where I have anything on my schedule. Because right now it's the wild, wild west. Anybody can, you know, we, we're booked weeks ahead, but it can be Monday, Friday. And I try to say, hold my Fridays, hold my Mondays. You know, it, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. What I'm saying now is five-day work week, the way that I work, the, the number of times I, I speak to people, the number of deals I do. I work on a – I counted, and I had 120 different topics I worked on on Monday, 120 different topics that I worked on. Too much. So what I've done is said, from June to July – 
we are going to experiment with me having two to three days a week only where something can go on my calendar. And the rest of the time I'm doing emails, I'm laying on the couch, I'm sitting on my balcony, I'm thinking, I'm strategizing, I'm resting. And in those two or three days, let me tell you, I am going to generate so much opportunity, you won't even be able to measure it. Because I've given myself that respect of you're not a machine. Work smart, not hard. And I got myself here finally at 39 because of that same thing. So five years ago when it's you don't have a place to live, you figure out a different way to manage time, which I did. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, uh, Zamaria is, is – Sorry, Zamaria Rayford said, I've, I've just bought the book. Thank you so much. Thank we got you. a couple other folks that are. And for, for those of you just tuning in, like this is a must get book. Um, one of the things that I appreciate what you said early on is this isn't just about you. Uh, everyone has been underestimated at some yeah. point in their life. And I took so much value out of that. And while underestimating uh, can be frustrating, it can also be an amazing driver. And that's what you've. Uh, you've packaged into this book and um, right. I'm, it's, yeah. I'm so excited to have the book out in the world. I remember, I think the last time we were together, it might even have been the day that you signed your book deal. I don't know. It was, if yeah, it was right. the month that I did. Yeah. It was okay. the month that I did. It was February of 2019, I think. That's right. And we, I was just like, and you had a book coming out. And I was like, yeah. tell me everything. Like, <laughs> was it going to be like, uh, it's uh, been maddening. It's been crazy. Like a good, not maddening. It's been a really good thing. It's been mad. Um, and you go to itsaboutdamntime.com and you can kind of see every way you can get it and you can see all kinds of keep up with the podcast and, and find me online. Arlen was here. Uh, but yeah, itsaboutdamntime.com is the hub. And this has just been a, a such a re- I, I hate to start talking all Zen, but it really has been a beautiful experience. Just having this book out there because I knew it would, I knew people would, it would resonate with some people. I really did. But the, just so how many different types of people it's resonating with. Like yeah. it is, that is what's blowing my mind. Like so many different people are finding themselves in this book, are seeing themselves in this book. And it's just, it's well, so cool. That's part of, you know, in the, in the particular lies the universal. And in your story, there's so many stories um, again, LGBTQ, uh, women of color, we've all been underestimated. Uh, Colin McQuillan says, hey, I'm a short ass, so I really need folks to step aside. So whether, <laughs> we're all challenged in some ways. And it's so true that the book is resonant across so many. And if we can do anything in this community, you heard Arlen put out there in the world that she's got a headline to make this a bestseller. This is a great opportunity to go get the book. Um, and of course, we can get them on uh, Audible. I see a couple of people saying, I just got the Audible version. Yeah. Uh, that's instant, right? You can be it's reading instant, that. It's instant, and in, I in recorded it. So it's it's me talking to you if you, it, if you enjoy that. Arlen did her own stunts. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, I just want to say thanks for so much for being on the show. And for those of you who want to rewatch this, we are uh, we have recorded it, and we will put post this again um, ASAP here at creativelive.com slash TV. Um, Arlen, good luck on the rest of your book tour. I'm a huge fan. And if there's, of course, there's anything I can do to keep supporting, uh, me and the creative live community are in your, um, uh, in your corner. So thank you so much for being on the show. The best way again is Arlen was here. Um, it's about damn time. 
Dot.com. Uh, where else would you steer people? Uh, there's yeah. people asking to pitch you, of course. I think it yes. was Colleen if wants you to pitch, pitch you. You go to backstagecapital.com. Look in the contact section. Look around the site. Don't just start pitching. Do you do the research <laughs> I just told you I did. Backstagecapital.com. Google is your friend. Arlen was here on Instagram and Twitter. Google is your friend. It's about damn time.com for everything else, book related and podcast related. But also at the end of the day, research, 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 get information, get information. Power of information. You heard it here. Thanks so much for uh, being on the show. Everyone on the world, thanks so much for tuning into creativelive.com slash TV. More coming up soon. Uh, check out the schedule just below this here broadcast. Or if you're viewing on Facebook or YouTube or any of the other channels, go over to that URL that I've mentioned a few times. Make sure to pick up Arlen's book and we'll see you again. Hey, that was an awesome episode. But before you bounce, just I got three quick thoughts. First, thank you for being in this community. It gives me so much juice. I can't even tell you so much juice that when I hit publish and the show goes out into the ether, that there's an amazing community of like-minded people just like you consuming and sharing the show. So thank you. Second, it would be huge. It would mean the world to me if you left a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Now, we're regularly featured at the top slot there on Apple's podcast page and others in Spotify, etc. And that's because of your reviews. So if you've ever wanted to uh, lend a hand or you got some value from me in the past and you want to pay it forward, that would be amazing. And then lastly, it would also mean the world to me if you shared the content that you get here, whether it's a screenshot or a photo of where you're listening, anything via Instagram stories um, or any other social feeds tagging me and the guests. Now, I repost this content and your comments all the time, so I would love to share your shout outs in my feed too. Um, not only do these shoutouts uh, are, are they good for you and me, but they also help us book amazing guests because they see the reach that you cultivate. This is a way for you to help contribute to the show. So again, want to say thanks. I'm just at Chase Jarvis. You can use at Creative Live as well. And the guests are easy to track down because they are, well, they're usually quite well-known people. Um, but again, thank you so much for listening. I'm looking forward to being in your ears again, hopefully tomorrow.